chapter 8. Uh, we'll begin reading tonight in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 54, and we'll read through verse 61. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 54 through 61. Just uh, a word about the setting of this uh, text. We see that it is, uh, these are the words of King Solomon as he has come to the end of the great prayer that he has prayed, interceding for the people of Israel, asking that as they, through the centuries of their existence that that is to come, that is to follow, that they, as they look toward this temple that has just been completed, that Solomon had built, that uh, they would receive mercy and grace in their time of need. And it envisions a time when the people of Israel will be suffering the consequences of their own sin and the curses that God will bring upon them for their disobedience. But Solomon prays for them that if they will look to the Lord for mercy and grace, that God would forgive their sins. And so uh, the uh, prayer having ended, Solomon then uh, comes to this place where uh, he is uh, ending his prayer in verse 54 And then uh, he gives, as it were, a benediction, a good word. He begins blessing God, and then his benediction really turns into a prayer for God's blessing upon the people of Israel. And uh, in in this uh, passage, then, we see um, uh, something of the theme of uh, the thanksgiving to God for his working among the, uh, the people of Israel, bringing them to the great place that they have been the recipients of God's mercy and, and grace and his blessing, um, but that uh, now Solomon uh, gives thanks to God for that and prays that it would continue. So hear the word of God in 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning at verse 54. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he has promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by his by Moses his servant. And the Lord our God be with us, for he, as he was with our fathers, may he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, which I have pleaded, Uh, Before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord as it is this day. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. 
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do uh, bow before you, thanking you for uh, this uh, wonderful uh, period in which you revealed your goodness to your people Israel, taking up your abode in their midst in the temple that Solomon had built, dwelling with a sinful people and giving them the gift of your dwelling in their midst. And as we consider this and how, O Lord, uh, you have revealed yourself to your people of old, we pray that we might also know that you have revealed yourself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him, fulfilling all of the promises that you have made. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon your word as it is preached tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we think of what a blessing is, uh, to be blessed is to receive the outpouring or the outgoing of God's goodwill and grace, the outflow of God's good and grace to us. And as a consequence, we experience something of happiness, peace, and joy, and prosperity. But when God bestows his blessing, he also uh, desires to have from us also a blessing. So the circle is completed when we, in turn, bless God for the blessings that he has given to us. God's blessing then comes upon us, those whom he calls by his spirit, and it doesn't return void. His word doesn't return void. It has the effect of so working within us that we raise our hearts in praise to God for the blessings that he has given. Something of this is expressed uh, by the Apostle Paul in the words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. God has amazingly uh, blessed his people in Christ. And so it was for the kingdom of uh, David and Solomon that God had blessed Israel through David's reign and through Solomon's reign and brought a period of peace. And uh, so much so that the people of Israel are described uh, throughout the land of Israel as being numerous and very happy. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea, and they ate and they drank, and they were happy. A beautiful and simple description of uh, the, this t- period of prosperity and blessing that the people of God received under David and Solomon's reign. And so then, uh, this, uh, this time of Uh, in Israel's history is a time in which uh, they have experienced great blessing from God. God has uh, bestowed upon them great wealth and riches, and Solomon has been enabled to build the temple. And they have gathered as a great congregation in Jerusalem and witnessed the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant from uh, the city of David to the temple and to the Holy of Holies, and they have seen the glory of God descend into, uh, upon that temple. And so God has greatly brought about a fulfillment of all of the promises that he has made to the people. 
And that is something that Solomon emphasizes when he says in verse 56, not one word has failed of all of the good promise which God spoke by Moses, his servant. And so Solomon gives thanks to the Lord for the blessing and the faithfulness of God to his people. And so this outpouring of God's blessing uh, upon Israel is then returned by Solomon in Solomon's blessing God and thanking him. So I want to make this uh, uh, observation as I think the main point of this text. Thanksgiving and praise to God should be the consistent theme of our prayers and our lives. Thanksgiving and praise to God should be the consistent theme of our prayers and our lives. And the reason for that is that God has been faithful and fulfilled all his promises to us as he had under the reign of Solomon at that period of his revelation to the people of Israel. Thanksgiving and praise should be a consistent theme of our prayers and lives. And so I want to observe four ways in which this works out in the verses that are before us and see that we should thank God, uh, first of all, for the rest that he gives. The rest that he gives. Secondly, we should thank God by walking in obedience to his word. Thirdly, we should thank God by relying as we do walk in obedience to God's word, relying upon his sustaining and keeping grace. And fourthly, we should thank God, praying as we seek to live for God, that all nations and people groups will join in glorifying God for the great things that he has done. So we notice, first of all, that we ought to thank God and offer thanks to God for the rest that he has given to us. And I want us to notice verse 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. And so, just as we find that we live in time, having received certain blessings and fulfillment of promises from God, and yet still look to the future fulfillment of those promises in the age to come, when Christ returns, so it was for the people of Israel, as Moses had made, the, made uh, clear that uh, the people of Israel were to enter Canaan, and that God would, in due time, give them a place where, that he would designate, that would be the place that he would designate as his dwelling place among Israel. And so uh, God then gave to Israel, through Solomon's reign, a period of time in which incursions from outside enemies stopped. 
And throughout the history of the, the people of Israel, uh, prior to David, uh, if you remember Saul's reign, uh, there was a constant warfare with the Philistines. And there was, during the period of Judges, there were the constant incursions of the nations around Israel. Every time, especially at harvest time, it would be that the, the, the fruit of their labor would be stolen from them and taken away. And they were under the heel of foreign adversaries. But God here has brought about a period now under Solomon of peace. No longer do enemies frustrate the labors of God's people. He has given them rest. Now that rest is a typological rest. It points to a future rest and deliverance from our enemy that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. I want to note, first of all, this idea of rest comes from the book of Genesis in the account of the creation. You remember that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. God didn't rest because he was exhausted, but he rested in the sense that he paused to take stock of what he had done and to enjoy it and to be satisfied in it. All that he had accomplished, God then took great joy and satisfaction in. Some of you uh, have that in your own uh, lives. You work very hard. Uh, there was a work day here, uh, and a lot of work was done by many hands, and uh, much was accomplished. At the end, you look at it, and you look at how great it looks. And you take satisfaction in that. Something has been improved. Something has been done. And so uh, God, when he created the world, rejoiced in that which he had done. So there were six days of labor and one day of rest. And our own lives are to be patterned by that. We're to imitate God in work and rest. And as we carry on our work, uh, we carry that on remembering that God has designated one day out of seven in which we uh, cease to work and acknowledge his work. And the work of uh, our work is not the work that gives us rest, but since sin has come into the world, that is not possible. The work that gives us rest is not ours, but it is the work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He has come and carried out and done for us by his obedience. He has accomplished the defeat of our enemies, and in his resurrection, he has accomplished victory over sin and death. And Jesus has entered into rest. And from his place of rest, he pours out his Holy Spirit in the hearts of his people. Now think about that as being, in a sense, something that Solomon's, uh, the people of Israel's experience, uh, typified or foreshadowed as God poured out his, uh, manifested his glory in the temple that Solomon had built. So God has manifested his glory in uh, Jesus Christ. He is the true temple. 
and in him uh, his glory is revealed. And we have rest in the forgiveness of our sins when we rest and trust in the work of Christ that he has done for us. And so God gives the gift of rest, and Solomon gives thanks to God for that gift of rest that he had given to Israel. How much more should we thank God for the work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for us? To be a Christian is to enter into that rest that we can enjoy because Christ has accomplished our salvation, and he now rules in glory. And so we ought to give thanks for that. We ought to rejoice in what God has done for us in Christ. And how important it is for us to remember that thanksgiving is the note of the Christian life. We live in a time in which there's a dearth and a lack of thanksgiving, of gratitude. And uh, much of our culture is characterized by uh, more of an, uh, a spirit of entitlement. And then as, uh, grievances and anger when things do not go as we uh, think that we deserve. The Christian attitude is very different. The Christian understands that everything that we have, that we are infinitely indebted to God, and that everything that we have comes because of his goodness and his kindness to us. And how can it be otherwise that we would express our gratitude to God in thanksgiving? Gratitude and uh, recognition of kindness is done should characterize not only our attitude toward God, but toward one another. And I think that in the body of Christ, it's, it's a wonderful thing to recognize kindnesses that are done, and in our families, and to say thank you. Thank you is a great thing. Saying thank you is good. Uh, recognizing what others do for us on a regular basis. Not taking things for granted, not thinking that we're Oh, well, this is just uh, what I deserve anyway. No, every, everything um, that we, in our daily lives, we encounter in uh, many, many different ways. Uh, God's goodness that is shown to us through other people, through other people who do things for us, who are kind to us, and, ex and, and, and contribute to our lives. And what a wonderful thing it is to recognize that this also is a gift from God and to be grateful for it and to express that to one another, saying from time to time, thank you, thank you. When you do that with God, we should give thanks to God for the rest that he has given to us through the work of the Messiah. Secondly, I want us to see in these words of Solomon that we should express our gratitude to God by seeking to walk in obedience to his word in, uh, in heart, in lips, and in life. Heart, lip, and life. Uh, look at verse 58. Solomon says that he, that is God, may incline our hearts to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. The people of God, being God's covenant people who had been redeemed from, from uh, slavery in Egypt, 
were to express their gratitude to God by living in uh, thankful obedience and keeping the commandments of God. There was never this idea, as is sometimes thought, that, uh, that under the Old Testament, it's all law. And uh, uh, the whole thing about the Old Testament is you had to, you had to do good works to earn, to earn uh, grace, to earn uh, God's favor. Never, ever is that the idea. Instead, uh, a life lived of gratitude is a life lived uh, by one who has experienced God's uh, saving grace. And Solomon expresses that. He says, may he incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Thanksgiving is the coil spring, or gratitude is the coil spring that moves and makes the Christian life go. The Heidelberg Catechism in question and answer 86 uh, asks this question. We have been delivered from our misery by God's grace alone through Christ and not because we've earned it. Why then must we still do good? And they answer the question in this way. To be sure, Christ has redeemed us by his blood. But we do good because Christ, by his spirit, is also renewing us to be like himself so that in all our living we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done for us so that he may be praised through us. And notice the, 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 the emphasis on the motive, so that he may be praised through us. And Solomon here uh, prays that God would do this work in the hearts of the people of God. And it says something that it begins then in the heart. True uh, holiness of life or godliness or living according to the commandments of God requires of us a, a heart to do that. And how can that possibly take place unless God incline the heart? Our hearts are, the Bible says, hard as stone. And God must give life to dead hearts. God must incline the heart to walk in obedience. And that which he begins in us, he uh, must continue to do. Begins in the human heart, in the very center of our personality, in the motivation and, and our identity. But then it spills out into our active obedience to God's word. Notice the, the Solomon's reference to commandments and statutes. So, so how do we know what God's will is unless we open our Bibles and read it? Unless we hear what God says in terms of that he would have us live in this way and to do these things and to have this attitude. And so uh, to live then according to God's word begins in the heart. And it is not merely a matter of external adherence to outward standards, but it is heart obedience to God begins in the heart and it works itself out. So we should then express our gratitude to God in, in thankful, thankful obedience to God 
in our lives. But thirdly, we see then that we should offer this thanksgiving to God, relying upon his sustaining grace. Verse 59, let these words of mine which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. I refer us also as well to verse 57. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. May he not leave us or forsake us. Those words may uh, ring a bell in your mind. They're quoted by the author of Hebrews. He will never leave you or forsake you. So Solomon, when he offers words of thanks, he realizes, he realizes that those to whom he is speaking are going to sin against God and that they're going to need to be uh, praying the prayer that he has just prayed in the sense of praying toward the temple and asking for God's grace and his mercy. So living in dependence upon God's sustaining grace means always turning to him and asking him to forgive our sin. It is recognizing, yes, God's people will sin. We do. And we are in need of God's continuous mercy and forgiveness. And that's why Solomon says, may these words that I have prayed, may they be a memorial before you. May you keep them before your eyes. Remember these petitions that I have prayed to you so that when God's people in times to come fall on their faces, when they sin against you, yet if they turn in humility and repentance and pray to you, Lord, hear their prayer. And so to, to, uh, to live the Christian life is to live moment by moment, day by day, conscious of God's sustaining grace for the breath that we breathe, for the hearts that continue to beat, and for the minds with which we think that God would give us sustaining daily grace. And notice the language there in verse 59, that you, O Lord, would maintain the cause of your people Israel as each day requires. <clears throat> Isn't it the case that each day has its own burden? And Jesus uh, pretty much teaches us to think in terms of the requirements of our daily needs. Forgive us our, uh, give us this day our daily bread. And so the daily requirements, God here is petitioned by Solomon, Lord, uh, as each day requires, may it be that you would sustain and maintain the cause of your people. And it is a wonderful thing, and we just read uh, uh, from that grand uh, passage in Romans chapter 8 about exactly that, that it is God who maintains the cause of his people. It is God who predestines. It is God who calls. It is God who justifies. It is God who adopts. It is God who glorifies. 
And nothing can come between the love of God and his people. It is God's work. He maintains the cause of his people. And that is why, in spite of the failures of Israel, as you see in the generations to come, not one word of the promise of God about the Messiah's coming failed. The Messiah did come. He has come. And he has fulfilled all uh, of our salvation, all that is required for our salvation. And so Solomon then speaks as one who stands before the people of God, saying, Lord, uh, maintain the cause of your people day and night as they come to you, dependent upon you day by day. Sustain your people. We need to express our gratitude to God, always relying upon his sustaining and keeping grace. And then finally, we see that we should give thanks as we pray that not only we would be the recipients of such blessings, not only that we would be able to give thanks to God for the rest that he has given to us through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, but finally we see that Solomon says in verse 60, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. It is Solomon's desire that God would be recognized and known as God by every nation and people. He prays that not only would he maintain uh, the, 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 the people of God, but that others would come to know that uh, the Lord alone is God, that he has redeemed his people, that he is the one who uh, has glorified himself by his mighty act of redemption of the people of Israel. Through signs and wonders and a mighty hand, God has revealed his great power uh, for the people of Israel. If what God did for Israel when he redeemed them from Egypt was so, how cannot the good news of what God has done in Christ for us not cause the nations also to recognize and to bow before the God who has done such great things as the people of God embody in their own lives dependence upon God, seeking to be, live in obedience to him, it is a prayer of Solomon that others will recognize and see that here is something that is different. Here is uh, the place where God, the true God, the God of creation, the God who redeemed his people Israel, the God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the true God, and that others will recognize and see that and say, wow, that's different from all of the the nastiness and the violence that I see everywhere else, uh, where people who are being conformed to Jesus Christ, who live according to his word, and show thankfulness and kindness and express that, what a difference that makes, that God would be glorified as that is seen. The work of evangelism and missions is that the glory of God, the motive of it is that the glory of God may be seen and known by all peoples. Men from every tribe and language and people will say, worthy are you, O Lord, 
and God to receive glory and honor and power. Beautiful passage from uh, the book of Isaiah. In the last, very last chapter of the book of Isaiah, where the, the Isaiah the prophet looks ahead to a time when all peoples will be gathered. And he says this, The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. They shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. I think that sign is Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, his resurrection. I will see, set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, and I think those survivors are the apostles. And then he lists these nations to the coastlands far away, people who have never heard of my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul and the other apostles did? Declared the glory of God among the nations? And is that not what we also are called to do? And the prophet Isaiah says, And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. Solomon here prays that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other For us, that can mean nothing else but that all the peoples of the earth would bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Lord and King. And so as we consider this uh, concluding prayer of Solomon um, and see the way that he lifts up his prayers for the people of God, as we give thanks, let us thank God for the rest he has given us in Christ Jesus who has brought our redemption for us. And let us pray that our neighbors and our nation and our world will come to see the glory of God and join us in our worship of him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great work of redemption that you have done. We thank you for Jesus Christ for his victory over sin and death and hell, for his resurrection from the dead, and for the great glory that is his, and how it is that he has us in his mind and in his heart, and he intercedes for us before you. And we thank you, our Father, that you have accomplished all these things. May it be that especially at this time of year that our lives would express that thanksgiving, not only in words, but also in the lives that you have called us to live. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.